us clean hands. So give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure Hello. Whoa. I'm loud. Got me? Okay. Hi, y'all. I'm not Bryson. I'm not near as good looking. I'm going to move this out of the way. Okay. Before we start, I need you to watch some things, okay? These are really, really cool. Do you want to do the first one? It's okay. What do you think? My brother sent me that a long time ago. You know what he said? He said, That's how Navy SEALs go fishing. Okay. All right. Next one. The Coast Guard didn't want to be outdone. All right. How about this one? This one's really good. You got to watch it a couple of times. Look at this. Do you see what that is? Look at that, a bird, and what did it do? Look at it. It snatched a kid. Whoa, look at that. Slow motion. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right, so, what do you think? Is that real? Who thinks that was real? Okay, but guess what? Guess what's crazy about this? The pictures are real, and the video's real, but is it true? No. He said, yeah, he said, they edited it, they photoshopped it. That's exactly right. So it's real, but it's not true. Pretty wild, isn't it? Okay, that's how the devil works. Do you know that? It is, yeah. The devil works the same way. The, devil's, the devil tells us that, let's say, we passed a law, and the law says it's okay. So that means it's okay for you to do it. It might be a real law, but is it the truth? No. Okay? How about this? The devil says that 
when you're unhappy, maybe the way you show everybody you're unhappy, he says this is okay because everybody's doing it, is you can break things and you can smash things and you can burn things. It's okay because that's how you show you're unhappy. Is, is it, it, does it really happen? People do that? Yeah. But is it the truth that it's okay to do that? How about, how about the devil tells us that if you don't like somebody or you don't like the way they, they think or maybe, maybe you don't agree with them, that it's okay to maybe say bad things about them on the playground or bad things about them at work or, or maybe the big thing now is put it on Facebook or YouTube or, or Twix or whatever they call that, okay? Is, is it okay? The devil says everybody's doing it, so is that okay to make it? Is, is it okay? Is it the truth that you can do that? It, there you go. So the, what the devil tells us is okay is not really the truth. Yeah. Okay, how about this one? How about if the devil tells us that really smart people say there is no such thing as God, and, and maybe really smart people say you don't really have to believe in Jesus to get to heaven, because really smart people say that. Does that make it true? No. no. Okay, so how do, we, how do we keep the devil from trying to get us to believe things that aren't true. Can you, can you ignore them? Reading the Bible. Very good. Alright, how many of you last week remember Jake talking about reading the Bible? And how we needed to do that? That's my special surprise, dude. Okay. Alright. This, this is... You've got to use your imagination now, okay? Let's pretend this is the Bible. Okay, we're going to pretend, yeah, I know it's, it's a phone book, but we're going to pretend this is the Bible. And let's pretend this is you. All right? So, you've got a Bible at home, and you know you got that Bible, and you just, you just look at that Bible, and the devil starts telling us stuff that's not true. But we're not really getting into the Bible. We're just, we're just we know we got it, and it's sitting there on a shelf or sitting there on a, on a stand, or, or maybe it's underneath our bed, maybe it's in our closet. And he's telling us stuff that's not true. We can start believing it. And it's easy for the devil to get us away from God's truth, isn't it? Because it's just sitting there. We're not doing anything with it. Okay? How about this? How about if we just kind of read the Bible and we kind of, kind of get into the Bible a little bit. Kind of get into the Word of God. And the devil starts pulling on us a little bit. And what happens? He can pull us away from his truth. Okay? But let's say if we get into the Bible and we study God's word and we learn that this is, this is how we need to treat people and this is how we should live our life and this is what happens if we disobey and this is what happens when we obey. And he tells us we should love our enemies. Pretty soon, pretty soon, what we find out is the deeper we get into God's Word, the more God's Word becomes a part of us. And then what we discover is this. And I'll have you come and help me. When the devil starts telling us stuff that isn't true, and he starts trying to pull us away from God's truth, he can't do it. He can try, and he can try, and he can try, but he can't pull us away from God's Word. Yeah, and it won't come apart because we've gotten into God's Word, and we know God's truth. And no matter what the devil tells us, we know it's not true because we've gotten into his Word. Does that make sense? Okay, if you just kind of get into it, it's easy to pull, him, pull, pull you away from the truth. If you just look at it and just leave it laying there on the shelf, it's easy for the devil to pull us away from God's truth. But if we really get into it and we really study it, it's really, really hard. Really, really hard. Does everybody understand? Okay, all right, let's pray. Shh. Thank you. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together. We thank you so much for the chance that we can get into your word. And we ask that you be with these young folks as they're just now starting out in their journey. And we ask that you be with their parents to help them get into your word. We say this in your son's name. Okay. Now, all of you folks, kindergarten through third grade, you get to go with Bryson today. So y'all follow him.
Thank you, Jack. I'm going to read from Psalm 145, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 145, verses 1 and 2. It reads like this. I exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. I will honor your name forever and ever. We're going to sing all hail King Jesus, knowing you, Lamb of God. We'll sing all the stanzas. Oh. 
come forward, please, for the morning offering. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you for this beautiful, awesome Sunday, a day that we can come together as a church and fellowship together and, and be fed your word. Father, just pray for Jake as he brings us a message that it will touch home and, and touch each of our lives. Father, thank you for blessing this church as you have so, so dearly over the years as we attempt to reach this community, reach this state, and our, through the four missions. This is the giving church, Lord, and I thank you for that. I just ask that you bless these, these monies and multiply them. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Last year, this time, we had something called Vision Sunday. I know it's winter time. You guys look kind of sleepy, some of you. Does anybody by chance remember anything from that Sunday? All right, good. We got a few? We got a few? All right. All right. For those of you that don't remember, you just blame it on me. Maybe I didn't do a good enough job sharing it with you. All right? But here's what I shared with you a year ago. The vision of our church is to reach people and make disciples. How many of you remember that? All right, good. I did something right then. So here's what I want to share with you this morning on the first Sunday of 2019. I want to share with you a little bit of what we've seen God do through our church in 2018 and I also want to direct your attention and your focus on what I think God wants us to do in 2019. Fair enough? All right. 
So if our job is to reach people and make disciples, if that's what we want to see happen, if, if that's what God wants to see happen through the life of our church, we've got to see how we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, right? So kind of like this morning when those of you who made it here at 9.30 or 9.32 or 9.35 walked into the sanctuary and we got a picture of everyone before Sunday school and you got a picture of what our church looked like this morning, right? People were there. You, you, got a, you caught a glimpse of what was going on. These, there's something that we can do to look at how we are doing at reaching people and making disciples. In fact, we keep up with a, a good number of statistics over in the church office, right? Numbers are numbers in one sense, and so numbers are just numbers. But at the same time, we keep up with numbers because we know numbers represent people. And people matter to God. They do. Each and every soul that he has created matters to him. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die for people. Every single person needs to know that Jesus Christ died for them. They need to hear that Jesus Christ rose again so that they can be saved, so that God can reach into their heart and then help them follow him. So I want to share with you this morning a few numbers, all right, from 2018. I'm pulling out the Arkansas Baptist News Magazine here, and uh, this was pretty interesting in the, uh, in the paper a couple weeks ago. Oops. Let me flip to the right page here. They gave a bunch of statistics, and yes, I know you cannot see this, all right? They give a bunch of statistics, and what these are, are baptisms in churches in 2018. And they've broken it down into categories. I'll share these with you. The first category is youth baptisms. This is students ages 12 to 17. And then they've broken it down amongst the 1,500 Southern Baptist churches in the state of Arkansas. How many teenagers were baptized in churches that have between 1 and 49 people in worship on Sunday mornings, between 100 and 249 people in worship on Sunday mornings, uh, churches that have uh, 500 or over on Sunday mornings. You guys kind of get how this works, right? So I want to share this with you. In, uh, in, in 2018, for churches that have between 100 and 249 worship attenders on Sunday mornings, our church is on this list of top youth baptisms. This is pretty cool. In, uh, when, you, when you go down and look at the, the next category, it's uh, top children's baptisms. These are ages 11 and under children who are baptized in churches. In, uh, in churches that run between 100 and 249 people in worship on Sunday mornings, our church was listed third in children's baptisms. In, uh, in top young adult baptisms, this is ages 18 to 29. This is a third category. Um, our church did not make this list. All right, But then the fourth category, the only other one they have in here, is top overall baptisms by worship attendance. For churches that have between 100 and 249 worshipers on Sunday mornings, our church is on this list of baptizing 31 people for the reporting year for 2018 to the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. And here's what's even cooler. At, a, at an executive board meeting of the state convention, we received a list of the top 100 churches in Arkansas for folks who have been baptized in these churches. Did you know that First Baptist Church Walnut Ridge is in the top 50 of 1,500 Baptist, Southern Baptist churches in Arkansas for baptizing people? And listen... In one sense, this is, this is very exciting, right? Because if our job is to reach people and make disciples, what do we see? We're doing that, right? In another sense, this is... I see some of you shaking your head now. This is kind of sad, isn't it? I mean, just stop and think about it. There's over 3 million people in Arkansas. 
And our church, as a Southern Baptist church, is in the top 50 churches after baptizing only 31 people. So here's the cool thing. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Here's the other cool thing. We've got more opportunity to do what we're supposed to be doing, right? And I want to share those numbers with you, not just so that you can pat yourself on the back and be proud that you're a Christian and you don't have to do anything anymore. I want you to see that when we do what God wants us to do, He works in and through us. And we need to continue to have this thought on our minds and on our hearts all the time that God created us to reach people and make disciples. You say, Jake, well, man, when is that kind of going to stop? Until every single person has been reached and has become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You say, Jake, that's never going to happen. Then we're just going to do it till Jesus comes back so that there are many, as many people as possible following Jesus in covenant relationship with him. That's the plan. That's the direction. It's nothing I've made up. It's what Jesus gave to every believer. It's what Jesus gave to his church. The Great Commission, some call it. The Final Command, it's been titled. And it's simply this, that we are to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I've shared these numbers with you before too, and, and these have been on my heart. 49% of Lawrence County residents do not claim any religious affiliation. Any denomination, any church, any type of spiritual belief, be that Baptist church, Methodist church, or even a Satanists or people who belong to a cult, there are 49% of the population of our county do not have anything that they connect with in a spiritual sense. It'll belong to a group, an organization, a body. I know this is the Bible Belt. I know the temptation is to look around and go, well, so-and-so saved, so-and-so goes to this church, so-and-so goes to that church. Our job's done. No, it's not. Over 17,000 people in our county, and almost half of them do not go to church anywhere. It means half of them don't even know who the Lord is. Our job is to continue to reach them and help them follow Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, I want to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 11 this morning, verses 19 through 26. And the title of my message this morning is simply this, Reach More People, Make More Disciples. Reach More People, Make More Disciples. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. As you're turning there, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background information of what's occurred in the book of Acts before Acts chapter 11, verse 19. At the beginning of the book of Acts, we see the disciples having just watched Jesus ascend back up into heaven to go be with the Father. And they're kind of standing around at each other, staring up in the sky, looking dumbfounded. And an angel from heaven says, why are you guys standing here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus that you saw go into heaven is coming back. And just before Jesus went up into heaven, he told his disciples, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and to all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so the disciples leave the scene there after Jesus goes back up into heaven and this angel talks to them and they're gathered in an upper room praying in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And all of a sudden, these Jesus followers are able to speak in languages that they've never learned. And as they start to speak in Jerusalem to people who have come from different parts of the world who speak different languages, the disciples are sharing this message of Jesus and the people who speak other languages are hearing it in their own language. And people begin to respond to this message that Jesus, the Jew is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures who's come to save the world from their sins. Jewish people begin to believe. A few Gentiles who believed that there was one true God had become Jewish proselytes. Those people started to follow Jesus. In fact, Peter preached a message 
on a Jewish holy day called Pentecost. And in that one day, 3,000 people came to believe that Jesus was the Christ who died for their sins and rose again. They were baptized and they were added to this group of followers who called themselves followers of the way. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And as these people continued to meet together, they would often fellowship day to day. They'd break bread together. They would listen to Peter and the other apostles teach them about Jesus and the Old Testament scriptures and teach them how to follow the Lord. And their church was continuing to grow. More people were hearing the message and more people were responding and believing, getting saved and baptized and becoming part of this church. And then some of the Jewish leaders, the same ones who had crucified Jesus, caught wind of what was going on. They thought that if they killed Jesus, they would kind of stomp out this movement, but it didn't happen. The movement continued. The gospel message was spreading like wildfire, and they didn't know what to do. The apostles and the followers of Jesus continued to teach and share with others. And the church in Jerusalem, the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus began to be persecuted from Jewish leaders who didn't like Jesus, who didn't believe he was the Messiah, who didn't want his message around. And what eventually happens is that persecution becomes so great in Jerusalem that folks in Jerusalem have to leave the city and spread out to other places because they're being arrested, imprisoned, some of them even killed. And so it happens that as these Jewish leaders think, all we've got to do is just get rid of this heresy here in Jerusalem and then the message of Jesus and all this talk of him saving the world will be done and over. But that's not what happened. Some believers stayed in Jerusalem, continued to do what God had called them to do in spreading the word in spite of those who stood against them. But the ones who left Jerusalem didn't stop talking about Jesus. They started telling other people about Jesus. People here and people there and people everywhere. And all of a sudden, the Jewish leaders weren't just worried about people in Jerusalem deciding to follow the way, deciding to follow Jesus Christ. There were people following Jesus everywhere. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, here's where we pick up this thought. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution in Jerusalem that occurred in connection with Stephen. Stephen was one of the first deacons of the church who was drugged before the Jewish leaders and they threw rocks at him and stoned him and killed him. So after this persecution with Stephen, they made their way into Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Now here's why. If you have something you're going to tell somebody, are you going to go find some stranger that you don't know that has nothing in common with you? Or are you going to find someone that you know that you can talk to about what's going on? You'll find somebody that you know. You're going to find somebody that speaks your language. You're going to find someone that has the same culture and background as customs as you do. And so these Jewish believers who left Jerusalem started going to these different places and they were speaking to Jews about Jesus. But then in verse 20, we find this out. There were some of them, that is some of the church from Jerusalem, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, that is the Gentiles also, and preaching the Lord Jesus. So these Jewish believers from Jerusalem were going out to different places, to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they were sharing the message of Jesus with Jewish people. But then there were Gentile folks, Greeks, those who were not Jewish by ethnicity. They were from Cyprus and Cyrene and they came to the city of Antioch and they just started talking to their family and friends and the ones who had the same culture and customs as they did about Jesus. And here's what happened. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. Word gets back to the, the mother church, so to speak, the place where this movement started. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. 
Verse 23, then when Barnabas arrived and witnessed the grace of God at Antioch, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Here's what happened in this early church. They were reaching people. They were making disciples. That's what had happened in Jerusalem. But as the word continued to spread and as people moved from Jerusalem to other cities and other places, they didn't just stop reaching people and making disciples. They reached more people. They made more disciples. And the big idea is this. When we bring the good news to more people... God does even more work through us. This is what happened with these early believers. When they brought the good news to more people, God did even more work through them. He didn't stop. God doesn't stop saving people. He continues to save people. If He wants to save people, He wants us to go and share with others that they need to be saved. So here's six results that occur when we bring the good news to more people, how God does even more work through us. Here's what the Lord does, and here's what the Lord did here in Acts chapter 11. First, there is more spiritual power. There's more spiritual power. Notice in verse 21, this phrase, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Have you ever heard the phrase before, Maybe somebody's been praying and they, they pray, God, would you touch that person in a special way? Or God, we ask that your hand would be upon them. Or God, we lift these people up to you and we place them in your hands. Anybody ever heard a phrase like that before? Okay, good. Seen some heads nod, so I guess you know what I'm talking about. This phrase, the hand of the Lord, means that God is in control. And not just that God is in control, but that God is powerful. And that He knows what He's doing with what He has in His hands. You guys remember that little song you sang in children's church growing up probably? He's got the whole world. I feel like Rocket Man now singing the song. In His hands. You guys remember that song? I remember talking with, with Mordecai at the house one day. Dad, how can God have the whole world in His hands? What does it mean? Does it mean that God is just this huge person? He's, he's got two physical hands and he's holding the world in it? Or did it mean that God was picking these believers up and snatching them up and holding them in the air saying, I've got these believers, my hand is upon them? No. It meant that God was in control of what they were doing. They had submitted themselves to his leadership and rule in their lives and in their operation as the body of Christ. It says the hand of the Lord was with them to guide them, to give them power, to give them what they needed to do, what he had called them to do. It is possible, listen, it is possible for you to be a Christian and for the hand of the Lord to not be with you. Do you know that? You can never leave God's hand once you've come to know the Lord. But there is a sense in which if you're not living in obedience and submission to his will, he removes his hand from your life and says, okay, that's what you want to do, go ahead. I, th I think about it like this. There's been times before when we've tried to teach our children to do something, right? And we've been guiding them and directing them in a, in a certain way. And we're with them. No matter what, we're not going to leave them. Say, for example, we're in the shallow end of a swimming pool. No sane parent's just going to let their kid go completely, right? But when you're teaching your children how to swim and you're teaching them that they can't breathe underwater, there comes a point when they want to let go because they like to be in the water. But you're saying, you need to keep going this direction. You need to keep doing this. We need to keep working on swimming. No, leave me alone. So what does every good parent do? All right. You let them go for a second. Why? 
because you want to teach them that they cannot do this without you, right? In the same type of way, the Lord is guiding and directing us to reach more people and to make more disciples. But if we start trying to go our own direction and do other things other than what God's asked us to do and told us to do and called us to do, it's not going to work. For example, you're teaching your child to swim in water. They can't walk in it. And when a kid wants to walk in water, you let them go. You don't leave them. You're right there with them to pick them back up and pull them out. But listen, folks, our job as a church doesn't ever change. We're always supposed to reach people and make disciples. When we start thinking we need to do something else, that's kind of when God says, all right, go ahead. That's not what I want you to do. I'll, I'll let you do it. You'll come back to me when you figure out how wrong that you are, right? Here's, here's a few examples for you. Well, Jake, I, I know that, man, we, we've, we've been sharing the gospel with our community. We've seen lots of children and teenagers baptized in, in our church over this past year. But, Jake, don't you think that we need to start not paying as much attention to those kind of people? I mean, don't you think we, we need to start doing something for us? I mean, Jake, what if... What if instead of trying to go to, into the community and get all these people to come to church who don't want to go to church, what if we just kind of start hanging out here in our own holy little huddle and doing things we like to do, right? We just, we get together and we hang out and we fellowship and we don't have to put up with all the craziness or the loudness or the mess from folks outside the church. That's when God says, okay, you want to try to walk? In the water by yourself, go ahead. But I haven't created you to walk in the water, I've created you to swim. I'm with you, I'm teaching you, but I'm going to let you go. This church didn't let go of what God had given them to do, and because of that, God didn't let go of them. The hand of the Lord was with them. They had more spiritual power to do more of what God had called them to do. Here's the second result. More people get saved. More people get saved. The hand of the Lord was with them, beginning of verse 21. The end of verse 21 says this, And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Did you know that God wants to save people? Did you know that? If you believe God wants to save people, would you say amen real quick so I can make sure that... Okay, good, good. We're on the same page. We know that God wants to save people, don't we? If we really believed that, what would we do? We'd tell people, wouldn't we? Over in the book of Romans in chapter 11, Paul says, how can they hear if nobody tells them? How can, they, how can somebody tell them unless somebody is sent? If we believe that God saves people, we ought to be living in obedience, telling other people about Jesus. That there is a Savior who's come into the world who can rescue them from sins. And when we do that, God is always faithful to fulfill His promise. More people are getting saved. And I want you to pay attention to this because it doesn't say that every time somebody in the church talked to somebody about Jesus, that they said, oh wow, we got to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. Not everybody made that decision. But more people made that decision the more they shared the good news. Did you know that? So when you talk about Jesus to someone, it doesn't automatically mean that that person is going to choose to follow Jesus. But there is no way that a person can choose to follow Jesus if somebody doesn't say, you need to follow Jesus. And here's how you can do it. And here's why you should. Here's what it's done in my life. Here's what the Lord's doing in my heart as I'm choosing to follow Him. The more we bring the good news to more people, God does even more work through us. That is, God brings people to the saving knowledge of Christ. A large number who believe turn to the Lord. Here's what happened. As these uh, Gentile believers, these Greeks, people of non-Jewish uh, ethnicity, were going and sharing with their fellow Greeks, their fellow Gentiles about Jesus, these people were coming to faith. Not just that there was a God and that there was one true God, but that Jesus Christ was God in flesh. You see, for a lot of these Greeks and Gentiles, 
They had become Jews by religion years before. They had chosen to leave the pagan religious system of Greek mythology behind or the the Roman pantheon, the Greek pantheon behind. They had chosen to forsake false gods and believe that there was one true God. They'd become Jewish proselytes, right? Belief in one true God. But we know that just believing in God is not enough for a person to be saved. Just believing that there's only one God is not enough for a person to be saved. There's salvation only in the name of Jesus Christ. And so as these Greek believers in Jesus were talking to their Greek friends and family members who'd come believe that there was only one God instead of many gods, they then began to teach them that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And no man could come to the real, only, true Father God except through His Son, Jesus. And these people began turning to the Lord. They got saved. And then the third thing that happens, we we have more spiritual power, number one. More people get saved, number two. But the third thing is this, more believers are encouraged. When we bring the good news to more people, God does even more work through us. Something that He does is encourage more believers around us. So what is happening there at the church in Antioch with Greeks and Gentiles coming to know Jesus, not just Jewish people, but people from different races and backgrounds are coming to know Jesus. News from the church in Antioch heads back to Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem hear it and they go, Oh, this is great. And they say, Hey, we want to hear more about what's going on. So they get a guy named Barnabas, somebody who is well respected in their church, and they send him off to Antioch to go find out all, all that's going on. When Barnabas arrived, verse 23 says, and witnessed the grace of God, that is how God's grace had saved these, Jew, uh, these, these Greek and Gentile believers, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. You remember what had happened in Jerusalem? The persecution? Why people had fled and left Jerusalem? You know how down and depressed some of these believers probably got there back at the mother church in Jerusalem? Man, Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. We had to get deacons in here, new ones, and they were great. But man, it's been hard. It's been tough this last little while. Stephen was killed by stoning. So-and-so moved off to Antioch. This person's not here anymore. This person just got arrested for last week for leading a Sunday school class in their house. You see what happened in Jerusalem. They were continuing to do what God had called them to do, but they'd gotten really discouraged. But then news from Antioch reached their ears, and they thought, wait, we know some people in Antioch. Some of our own left there and went here. we got to find out what's going on. As soon as Barnabas heads up there and he hears about it, his heart is encouraged. He is bolstered. He's strengthened in his faith. And he doesn't just... Receive the encouragement. He encourages these new believers in Christ. Why? Because he's been a follower of Jesus for some time. And he decides these people are babes in Jesus and and they need to grow. So let me encourage them. Let me spend some time with them. And this is what leads us to the fourth result that occurs. More laborers are equipped. First, there's more spiritual power. Second, more people get saved. Third, more believers are encouraged. And fourth, more laborers are equipped. Look what happens. Uh, Barnabas goes to encourage them them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas left Antioch for Tarsus to go and look for Saul. Saul, this former persecutor of the church... Part of the big reason some of these people had left Jerusalem and gone to Antioch was because of Saul. He was there holding the coats when that deacon named Stephen was stoned to death. Barnabas says, guys, i got to go get Saul. He's got to come see this. And he goes and gets Saul, but he doesn't just get Saul and bring him back so that Saul can go, wow, this is neat. He gets Saul to bring him back so that he can train Saul in how to preach and teach and lead in a church. Isn't this cool? Verse 26, and when he found him, when Barnabas found Saul, he brought him to Antioch. 
And check this out, for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. Wow. More laborers were equipped. Barnabas took Saul underneath his wing. Saul would become known as Paul, the great apostle, the missionary to the Gentile world. In fact, when you, if you keep reading the book of Acts, you come to Acts chapter 13. It really doesn't talk so much about Peter anymore. He's mentioned a few times. But the story turns from Peter and the Jews coming to know Jesus to Paul and the Gentiles coming to know Jesus. When we bring the good news to more people, God does even more work through us. And something that he does is raises up more laborers to go out into his harvest field. I mean, think about this. I shared with you that still about half of our county doesn't go to church anywhere. Half of our county doesn't know Jesus. We need to pray that those people come to know Jesus, right? But what do those people need to hear in order to come to know Jesus? They need to hear the gospel message of Jesus. The only way to hear is if we go and tell them. But think about it this way. If you say, well, Jake, you're the pastor of First Baptist Church in Walnut Ridge. It's your job to witness to all 17,000 people in Lawrence County and tell them about Jesus. Now, look, that's awesome, but there is no way I can do that, is there? Not by myself and not alone. Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look upon the fields. The fields are wide unto harvest. And he doesn't just say, so you guys go out and take care of all the harvest. He says, pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth more laborers into his harvest. When we keep reaching people and keep making disciples, when we're doing what God has asked us to do, then the Lord works through us not just to reach new Christians, but to train Christians who are already following Jesus so that they can reach new Christians. Isn't this cool how it works? We make disciples who make disciples. We don't just become people who produce followers of Jesus Christ. We become people who reproduce followers of Jesus Christ, who produce followers of Jesus Christ. More laborers are equipped. But that wasn't all that happened. It wasn't just that, that Barnabas took Paul under his wing. They met with the in church for an entire year. This is the fifth result. More church members are developed. I mean, look, we might as well face the facts, right? Not every one of you is going to be Billy Graham. I'm not going to be Billy Graham. Not every one of you is going to be Jake Henrich. Not every one of you is going to stand behind a pulpit and preach. Not every one of you is going to sit in a Sunday school class and lead a Sunday school class. Not every one of you is going to be called to go and serve the Lord overseas on the mission field. But if God has called you to follow him, then he's gifted you for his honor and for his glory. And part of growing in your Christian faith is learning how he's gifted you and using your spiritual gifts to point others to him and to serve others around you who are already following him. When Saul and Barnabas met with this church in Antioch for an entire year, they were teaching considerable numbers. That is, when they continued to reach people and make disciples... They were teaching people to observe everything that Jesus had commanded them. And all of a sudden, their church members, who might have just been showing up and receiving blessings from the church, started showing up and showing out. They were giving to their fellow church members. They were aiding the apostles in the teaching ministry. They were helping support missionary causes. They were engaging in service projects. They were doing whatever they could to point more people to Jesus. More laborers are equipped and more church members are developed. And then sixth, here's what I want you to see at the end of this. More of the world is impacted. More of the world is impacted. When we bring the good news to more people, God does even more work through us. It means these six things. We have more spiritual power. More people get saved. More believers are encouraged. More laborers are equipped. More church members are developed. And more of the world is impacted. The end of verse 26, here's what this says. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And here's why this phrase is so neat. You've heard the word disciple before. I mentioned it to you. It simply means follower, right? And so if you are a disciple, you are a follower of Jesus. In Jerusalem, these followers of Jesus began to 
be known as followers of the way. That's how they identified themselves. That's how other people identified them. But they're never called Christians until in Antioch. Why? Because Greek-speaking people, Gentile people, are following Jesus too. And so here's the thought from a lot of historians and theologians. These people are first called Christians in Antioch because Christian was like a Hellenized or a Greek title for a follower of Jesus, right? If you were a follower of, of Caesar, you would be not called a, a follower of Caesar in the Roman Empire or a follower of uh, Augustus, but you'd be like a, an Augustinian, right? If, uh, if you decided to, to live a life under the rule of this Greek god or goddess or religious system, you would be titled this Ian, right? Well, that suffix on the end. When the Greeks came to know the Lord, and large numbers of them, they weren't just called followers of the way, they were called Christians. This is why this is so neat and this is why it's so cool. It means that more people just outside of the immediate circle of those in Jerusalem were coming to hear about Jesus and know him as Lord. I'm going to share with you something that's been interesting in our church over this last year. We've had some folks in, in our own congregation, uh, children of church members who have gotten saved and baptized and come to know Jesus. But what's really neat about a lot of the folks we've baptized in our church is that their families weren't coming here before they became a Christian and were baptized. So here's what's happening slowly but surely in our church and in this community. It's not just that people are like, oh, those are the Baptists that meet in the big red brick building across from the train station. People are going, oh, wait, you go to church? You're, you're a Christian? You follow Jesus? You go to that church? They actually like people like me? They'd let me in there? Yeah. I've told people before, if they let me preach from this pulpit, they'll let anybody in here. And this is what was happening in Antioch. More people from outside their first circles were hearing about Jesus and were responding to faith. And it wasn't just that people liked them and people that they knew were coming to Jesus. It was people who were totally different. And it was people that they didn't know before were experiencing the grace of God for the first time. More of the world was impacted. Wouldn't it be amazing? We started to reach more people and make even more disciples. Wouldn't it be amazing if God continued to use us to do what we're already doing and more of the world around us was impacted? Wouldn't it be so cool if we had to start new works because we couldn't contain all of the people that were coming here to worship or what if the new Christians, the people who had come to know Jesus, said, Man, Jake, what you guys are doing there on Sunday morning at First Baptist in town is really nice. But Jake, I, the, the people that I used to hang around with need to hear Jesus too. And, and they're not coming to worship on Sunday mornings because they don't feel comfortable the way you do things. Could we do this up here in the hills in Imboden? Or Jake, could, could we meet on Thursday nights and talk about some things and start to share Jesus with some of our lost friends and create a more welcoming environment and atmosphere so that they would hear about Jesus and respond to faith in Him? And listen, you guys are already doing some of that really neat stuff. Take Sunday nights, for example, our worship services. Who would have thought 10 years ago that you as First Baptist Church would allow our youth praise team to lead worship every Sunday night? And who would have thought that our youth praise team would have sounded as stinking awesome as it does, right? This is just neat to see what God's doing and the new people that God is reaching and the way He's using our church to make an impact in areas where we've never had influence before. And it's not because of how great we are. It's because of how great God is and how great the message is. It's because of how great His grace is. His grace is able to save everybody from the self-righteous people who have identified themselves as Baptists all their life but never really followed Jesus, to those who have never darkened the doorway of a church before because they don't want to go to church. Jesus saves everybody across the spectrum. And we all need Him. 
if we'll continue to reach more people and make more disciples, I believe God will continue to use us and do even more work through us. I'm going to show you a picture this morning as I close. You guys met Coy Slusher, our new youth minister? Coy, raise your hand real quick. He's got a shining spot on top of his head if you can't see him. I like him so I can tease him. He might not like me if I tease him too much. Coy came into the office not too long after church had called him as, as our new youth minister, and he had this in his hand. I noticed it, but he didn't really say anything about it. What it is is a map of Lawrence County. Maybe you guys can kind of make this out. And, uh, and on the inside, it's got this written. I'm guessing Vicki wrote this because she writes a lot better, a lot prettier than you do probably. And it's got a heart there. Here's what Vicki wrote. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm telling you it's going to be worth it. I want you to take a good look at this map. You might not be able to see it very well. But this right here is what I want you to see. I want you to think about the people who live, live in every nook and cranny of this county. Folks in Walnut Ridge and Hoxie and folks up north of us in Imboden, folks south of us in Alicia. Think about it. Did you know this? Every Wednesday night, you've got a few people coming from just south of Imboden in Black Rock. You've got people coming from Alicia. We've picked up folks before that live out towards Egypt. There are all kinds of people who are coming to First Baptist Church to hear about Jesus. Our job is to continue to go and tell them. And look, it, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be times where, man, it's going to test our patience and it's going to stretch our faith. Is it not? There are times where it's going to get loud and times where it's going to get messy. There's times when it's going to cost. There's times when it's going to require sacrifice. But this is what God has told us to do. And this is what we're going to continue to do. We're going to reach people and make disciples. But we're going to reach more people and we're going to make more disciples. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? In just a moment, you're going to hear a song of invitation played. And as this song is played, I want you to take the opportunity to respond to God however He is speaking to your heart this morning. Maybe you're here as a member of First Baptist Church, Walnut Ridge. You go, Jake, I've been on board with, with what the Lord's doing in our church, but I know that He's asking me to continue to do what I'm doing, and I need to recommit myself to reaching people, making disciples. Or maybe you're here at this church, and for the last year, you've kind of been scratching your head and kind of staring back at a distance going, man, what is going on? But hopefully you've seen what God is doing and how He's moving in people's hearts and in people's lives. And maybe it's time for you to get out of your pew and to come kneel at this altar and say, God, I haven't really been on board with this and you know it. But God, I know you want to save people. And I want to see more people saved. God, would you help us reach more people, make more disciples? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been coming to our church for some time, but you've never joined our church. And God's telling you that you need to become a member here and get on board with His mission, with the vision of reaching more people and making disciples in our community and in our county. Maybe you're here this morning and you're one of those people who needs to be reached. And you're one of those people who needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you'll believe that He died for your sins and rose again, and if you'll give your life to Him, He'll become your Lord, and you'll become His follower. He'll change your life forever. He'll give you a new life, eternal life, and abundant life in His name. I'll be standing down here at the front as this song is played. If you need to come and speak with me, please do so. The altar's open if you need to come and kneel in prayer. As God speaks to you this morning,